This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast brought to us by Bet Rivers and Bet Rivers Casino, Bet Rivers Sportsbook, the whole deal. Download the Bet Rivers app where you can make your own bets. Uh, it is podcast number 98 as we inch closer to our 100th production of the Mike Missanelli podcast since we started it last year. We're doing this one on Tuesday. July 18th. Uh, a lot of things are going on in the middle of the summer that we need to talk about today. We'll be joined by Joe Davis, the hottest broadcast sports broadcaster uh, in the nation right now. Joe, of course, took over for, for Joe Buck when he moved to ESPN. He's the lead voice on a lot of things, including the World Series that he brought us last year uh, with some exciting moments of him broadcasting with John Smoltz in Philadelphia. We'll talk to Joe about his career. He's 35 years old, and he's on top of the world right now in the broadcasting industry. He has a great story on how he got there. So stay tuned for that. That'll happen in a bit. But right now, let's go start the, the uh, podcast with what we call The Current. And what is going on currently? Okay, well, the Phillies are going on. We'll touch on them in a second as they came out of the All-Star break against the San Diego Padres. But the big story that's going on right now that everybody is talking about in Philly and also nationally, the NBA is one of these drama leagues where something can happen and conversation happens. Uh, it, it's special about the NBA. If I'm uh, Adam Silver, I'm delighted that people are talking about the NBA. But let's talk about what happened because it happens this week to feature Joel the Troel Embiid and um, another passive aggressive attempt to grab attention. Uh on a podcast with Maverick Carter, this was a live podcast. Maverick Carter, of course, uh, has claimed the fame is uh, he was fortunate enough to be a LeBron James childhood friend, uh, and that led to him being CEO of LeBron's company. Why didn't I have a friend like that? I had Joey Knuckles down the street. Didn't, he wasn't a CEO uh, and didn't play professional basketball, and, and so here I am doing my podcast uh, without being a CEO like Maverick Carter. So Maverick Carter... Uh, who's been on that LeBron show you saw on HBO, The Shop, all that kind of thing. And he's got a one-on-one with Joel Embiid. And Embiid is no dummy. And Embiid, and the people that that don't know much about Joel Embiid, I happen to know a lot about him inside the organization because people in the organization would tell me about him. Now, listen, he's a great player. He's the MVP. He's the, he's the front man of this team trying to win a championship. But... He can be a little bit of a baby. And this is what the people inside the Sixers have told me. He loves the drama about himself. He loves to milk the drama. So this is what he did. He said in this podcast, I just want to win a championship. Um, you know, whatever it takes, whether uh, it's in Philadelphia or anywhere else. All right, let's... Let's delve into this, right? Now, Joel and B, nobody has paid attention to him the whole offseason, but they are paying attention to other people. They're paying attention to James Harden, who's put a public trade demand out there, and they're paying attention to Damian Lillard, who's put a trade demand out there. In other words, if you don't want me here, screw you. I'll go somewhere else, and this is where I want to go. This is what NBA players do now. So, and B, not to be uh, uh, undaunted here, I think I'll throw the same thing out for me. I think I'll threaten the organization that maybe I would pull that same stuff unless we build a team that's good enough to win a championship. All right, so let's take that uh, first of all. The Sixers have been trying to win a championship around Joel Embiid. 
Now, they may have not f- found the right blend yet, but it's not like they're sitting on their rear end not making any moves to improve their team. Year after year, they look at their weaknesses and say, oh, we need this, let's try to get this. And blah, blah, blah. They're also salary cap ridden, so it's really hard to, to have full autonomy on building a championship team because you don't know what the components are anyway. You just hope to stack enough good players and find enough chemistry and coach well enough to be able to win a championship. It doesn't happen all the time, right? It happened with the Denver Nuggets because they found the perfect blend, all right? That doesn't happen all the time. So if Joel Embiid thinks the Sixers haven't been trying to build around him to win a championship, then he's totally misguided. And this is what ticks me off more than anything. To say nothing about his contribution to the championship run. Now, right now, if I'm Joel Embiid, I would look within myself and say, did I do the very best to win a championship for the Sixers? Now, maybe in the regular season he did, but in the playoffs, let's face it, he came up a little short. So was it the quality of the team and the inferiority of the team they put around him, or did he have something to contribute to the Sixers not winning a championship? And this is what bugs me about this guy, because I'm not one of these guys, if you look at social media and you look at the reaction to this comment that he made, it's like, oh, I'm done with him. I don't need him. We're never going to win a championship with him. Let's just, let's just break it down. Let's just blow it out of my Now, that's ridiculous because what, what you know is that you have an MVP caliber player, and the only thing you can keep doing is keep trying to win with an MVP caliber player. At the end of the day, years down the road, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But it's foolish to think that you're going to be better off if you move and beat out of this organization because you think, because you're emotional about it, that you're never going to win with Joel Embiid. In what world would you think that you wouldn't be good enough to win with Joel Embiid if you put the right components around him? So the only thing you can do is keep putting the right components around him. Now, the Harden situation is problematic. I don't know what they're going to do here with Harden. But more I read with fans' reaction is that you let your emotions get involved in what the the greater good of the team is. You just can't give James Harden away. You want to trade him to the Clippers where he wants to go, and you're going to get back Joe Bag of Donuts and Norman Powell. That's not going to be good enough anyway. So people say, well, what are you going to do if he sits out? Well, if he sits out, he sits out. He only hurts himself. If you trade him for slop, you're not going to be good enough to win a championship anyway. So what's the difference if he sits out? It doesn't make any sense. He sits out, you're not going to win. He brings in a bad return, you're not going to win. So the Sixers are in the driver's seat here with James Harden. What does he have to lose? People are thinking that he can just sit out an entire year and go where he wants to go. Oh, no, no, no. He's still under contract. He is obligated to the Sixers for one more year. So if he sits out, he's not performing the contract. He's still Sixer property. He can't waste away that year by sitting out and wearing a fat suit. He's got to play to perform the contract to let that contract runs out, run out. So he can talk all the tough he wants. At the end of the day, he has to play the last year of this contract to be attractive to other teams that may want to sign him for another contract. So what does he gain by sitting out? He doesn't gain anything. Just like that. When the Sixers held fast with Ben Simmons, they weren't gaining because they they had they didn't have a caliber of a player like Simmons either in the lineup or to get in an exchange. And because they held out, they got a player that made them viable. So what's the difference here? What can James Harden do? I guess he can play. I guess he can gain weight. Uh, I guess he could be miserable and not play and the effectiveness to the point where it looks like he's throwing basketball games. And at that point, you'd have to deal with it. But how does he gain by doing that? Because other teams are looking at that too. And they go, geez, if I acquire that guy, will he do the same thing with me? He only wants to go to one team. So if it's not the Clippers, and it's not going to be the Clippers because they can't make a good enough deal to make the Sixers a a contender, then where is it going to be? He's in no man's land. And I wish people would get to see this. Daryl Morey is a smart guy. He's got years to play with. He's not not going to lose his job if he allows James Harden to sit out like he allowed Ben Simmons to sit out. Because smart fans know that unless you get a viable return for James Harden, it's just like you have Harden sitting out. You're not going to win anyway. 
So maybe this has to be the gap year. And maybe the Sixer fans have to eat that. As much as I hate to admit that, that's the games the front offices play. At the end of the day, they're going to do what's best for them. They're not going to let fans bully and bully them into making a bad deal because James Harden is overweight. All right, so so there, there's the situation. So so back to MB. Um, shut up, dude. It, it really, I, you know, I I I've I've had it with the passive aggressiveness, and, and I know people eat this kind of thing up, but it's old now. And, and for you to throw that out there just to bring attention to yourself because Harden and, and Lillard are doing it. It's embarrassing. You know, you do your part. Concentrate on doing your part and whole, and and have belief that the organization wants to put the proper components around you to win instead of being a baby about this. And while I'm at it, how about you lose 25 pounds? Lose 25 pounds. I saw the way you were built when you came into the league. You were like Giannis. Now you've gotten thick. And, and I don't think there's any reason for you to be this thick. I think that you should lose some weight and get more lean and life. And maybe that would help the whole situation. Injury-wise, whether you stop lumbering up and down the floor, all that kind of stuff. Whether, whether you, because you're tired, because you're carrying all that weight, you hang out at the top of the perimeter instead of going deep at times when you need to do it. Do your part now. But the one thing I know about Embiid is he loves Philadelphia, okay? He loves being in this little component of Philadelphia with his kid Arthur and his wife. He's got a good life. People recognize him. He's happy. Like he, don't, don't take that for granted, Joel. And don't, don't tell me that you'd be happier somewhere else because I know you're happy here. But I also know behind the scenes you could be a diva and a baby. So just stop it, all right? All right, that's all I had to say about Joel Embiid. Your thoughts, Darren? Uh, you know, I love this city. I love the fans. Uh, you hit on everything I would have said. I, sometimes the fans in Philadelphia really annoy the crap out of me because this is, to me, this is much ado about nothing. People have been up in arms for two days about this. Two days. I mean, it's just enough is enough. He's not going anywhere. The Sixers aren't going to let him go anywhere. They'll never in a million years be able to trade him and get good value back with anybody that can do it. So. I know, look, you know, nobody wants to hear him even mention in one breath of him playing elsewhere. He's, it's just a point. I kind of like it, actually. He wants to win a championship, uh, whether it's here or anywhere. That's his goal. That's a good thing. I'd like to see a little bit more in the court in the postseason. But, you know, I have no problem with what he said. It's much ado about nothing to me. Listen, he, the guy obviously craves attention. The guy is obviously a troll. He says, hey, wait a minute. I see these guys. Harden and Lillard doing this. They're getting talked about nationally. How about you give me an old national play? How about if I say something that, say, oh, maybe maybe I don't want to be here in Philadelphia. It's just an attention grab, and he does it passively, aggressively. He's done it his entire career, frankly. So uh, that's why he, he's Joel the Troel Embiid on his Twitter. He loves the attention. But you see, after a point, the attention fades into, all right, do your fucking job. All right, don't fade out the last couple of, of, of games in, a, in a, a must-win series to get you to an Eastern Conference final. We're not going to forget about that part of it. You have some personal responsibility, along with the Sixers, trying to build it to the best team around you. All right, I've said all I want to say about that. Now, let's move on to the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I'm watching the two teams over the weekend. San Diego wins the first game, and I'm going, all right. Maybe they've changed the mindset. And for the next three games, I saw the difference between two teams. I saw one team that has fight in the Phillies, and I see the other team that folds up when the pressure gets on them. I watched those three games. There is something wrong with the San Diego Padres. You could tell that they are just a team waiting during the course of any game to just melt down and lose the lead and not have the f enough fight to come back. And while I'm at it, let me talk about the difference between Juan Soto and Acuna Jr. At one point, I thought those two players were the best in the game. I look at Soto now, and I think he's a semi-clown. I don't deny his talent. But Juan Soto walks around thinking that he's way better than he is. He's, got, he's always got the star glide. 
he misplayed about four balls in the outfield in that series, right? He's got the star glide about him. It's all like the puffery, the fanfare, the, the showing off, the whole bit. Acuna freaking attacks every minute on a ball field. And those are the two. That's, that's the difference between the two. Two great players. Soto thinks a little too much of himself being a star. Acuna proves that he's a star every day. And the San Diego Padres are dead. They're a dead team. You can tell. They just don't have the right mix. I mean, they line up Soto and Machado and Bogarts and and Tatis Jr., and they can't win. Why? Because there's something missing with that team. And when you looked at the Phillies, you had to say, man, you know what? I've got a better team than that team. I've got a team that I know is going to be reliable enough to be in the playoffs and maybe fight for a World Series. That other team, they spent $300 million with Mierda, basically. And they're dead in the water. Now what are they going to do? So now there's these rumors that maybe Soto wants to go back to the East Coast. And right away, hey, Dave Dombrowski, would he be interested in Soto? Would I be interested in Soto? You're goddamn right I'd be interested in Soto, all right? I just ripped him to being a star glide. I'd love to have him play left field. So, I, yeah, I, I would take him at that price. The price is no object. I think whatever. there's a better chance but, of Bob uh, Melvin losing his job uh, than them trading Soto. Yeah, well, they, Melvin is going to lose his job. There's no question about it. Uh, all right, so now uh, here's the, uh, the other point. Uh, Otani. Um, you, come on. He's not going to come to Philadelphia. Why would he, doesn't, he doesn't want to come to Philadelphia. He's staying on the West Coast. So he'll sign with the Dodgers, most likely. And, and if I'm the Angels, uh, listen, I I don't understand uh, when you reach a point of no return and the guy is probably almost directly telling you he doesn't want to be there anymore because he's tired of losing, why you would not trade him. What What's the what's the worst thing that can happen with a trade? If nobody comes to see your team, okay, fine. But you're not going to win anyway, so nobody's going to come and see your team anyway. You're not going to go to the playoffs. So So – like, isn't this the time to get value? Is it the right thing because you like the guy so much and just let his contract run out so he can sign with somebody else and you get nothing? <laughs> you you have to trade him at this point. You, you've got to maximize your organization. Uh, Mike Trout's getting old now. I mean, he's going to be factored out of this whole thing. So what do you have if you're the Angels? You made a run over the last three years with those two stars and didn't get you anywhere. You got to trade him. And, and uh, you know, people in Southern California, in Orange County, will forget about it. You know why? Because they wake up and they see sunshine and palm trees and coconuts and lemons and all that kind of thing. At the end of the day, they're not going to fret that they lost the Tani. They'll get over it. It's the Mike Nussinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right. Our guest today on the Mike Nussinelli Podcast, a major name. Uh, joining us today, a man who's made a meteoric rise in national sports broadcasting. You know him as the lead play-by-play man on Fox baseball telecast. Uh, he's the number two man on uh, the NFL of Fox games. Uh, and he also throws in uh, the uh, play-by-play for the L.A. Dodgers on Sportsnet L.A. This is a busy man at a very young age. He's the great Joe Davis joining us today. Hello, Joe. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for joining us today. I know you're with the Dodgers in Baltimore right now. So you're you're kind of I could I could pretty much yell out my window we could do this interview because you're that close right now. That's why have we checked the schedule a little more closely? I could have just buzzed up there and we could have done it in person. It would have been awesome. You said done it from my new studio and and my home. Uh, but I appreciate you you joining us. And you know, the first thing I want to talk with you, I obviously your career path is so dynamic and I want to get involved in that with you, but uh, I, I, since we're a Philadelphia-oriented podcast, and you were such a prom, played a prominent role in what happened last year in this town with these games, and and the, and the hype that followed the games in Philadelphia as a broadcaster, how did it feel to be broadcasting those games in Philadelphia, where the, the crowds was so crazy? Mike, the division series against the Braves was the best postseason environment I've ever been in at that point. And it got better every step of the way. But the division series was already like, oh, my gosh. And we started to think about what this could look like in the championship series and, my Lord, what it would look like in the World Series. And thankfully, we all got to see that. But it was, as we talked about some on the broadcast, as much the crowd and the environment and the city became as much a part of the story to me as it ever does in a, in a team's run. 
So uh, the Braves thing is interesting because it's always been that Phillies-Braves dynamic. You go back uh, the, the series in 93, and, you know, the Braves have always been the, the nemesis. But it, it almost looked in that series, and I was there in a stands for a few of those games. It, it almost seemed like that crowd intimidated the Braves. And it was something I had really never seen. The Braves had played great all year, and they almost like shrunk in that environment. Did you just notice the same thing? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I remember – Reese Hoskins home run with the bat slam in that division series. And it's almost like when he slammed that bat, he was slamming the Braves to the ground too. Like this is over. And it was just a relentless attack from the offense. Yeah. But with just that wall of noise, I can't imagine what it had to feel like standing down there on the field for the Braves as things were sliding away from him on the scoreboard, also having to feel that crowd. You know what, I mean, I, have you been able to notice in broadcasting games the concentration level, whether it wanes for visiting teams or even home teams? Like, it's hard to tune out that kind of thing, but most great players just tune it out. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, uh, I do. I, I guess they do until they don't, right? Like, there are a lot of really good players on that Braves team that the year before won the World Series – and then just weren't quite the same guys. And I don't know if that says more about what the environment was in Philadelphia or more about those individual brave guys. And I, I don't know what exactly it says about them, but certainly that, you know, I think a big part in any athlete would tell you that, Mike, as you know as well as anybody, that that is something you have to do to perform at a high level is to be able to tune out that crowd, be able to make it white noise. Or there are those certain dudes who like to channel it and really feel it. Uh, but I think it's unique to each person. Uh, let's talk about one guy who channeled it, and you know, it, it turns out to be one of your great calls uh, probably uh, ever in your career. Uh, Bryce Harper steps into play in, in uh, like Roy Hobbs style and does e exactly what was needed, and, and, and just like it's a flabbergasting moment, and, and you reacted to it. Let, let's hear your call, first of all, uh, of the Bryce Harper home run to left field. On the seventh pitch, Harper hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes, Harper, the swing of his life! Okay, so 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 there it is. Now, uh, that that obviously is, can't be planned. So that's an impromptu call. So take me through that moment as that's happening in, in your mind as you're broadcasting the game. Baseball is one of those sports, or is the sport, where... You know, you look at basketball, you're going to give the ball to LeBron James as the clock's winding down. You look at football, you're going to find your best receiver on fourth down. In baseball, the stars have to align for that situation. It's got to be the guy's spot in the order with the game on the line that happens to come up. And you could kind of see it coming in the late innings. Like, okay, they could get Harper to the play here with a chance to do something. And you get closer and closer, and then it actually happens. And for it not just to get him into that moment, but for him to come through in the moment in front of that crowd that was as big a part of the story as anything, to have it not just win the game, but win the series. And then the backdrop of like the misty rain that gave it this Hollywood movie feel as well. So it was, I mean, it had every single thing you could hope for in a postseason moment that, you know, every postseason has these moments, but this is one, I can't think of a moment like that in the last decade that had all those things leading up to it. So Bryce Harper, uh, the swing of his life just came to your brain. Yeah. You know, Mike, I, what I try to do in those big moments, and I'm really fortunate to have done Dodger games for the last eight years, where it seems like these guys have big moments once a week, whether it's a comeback win or a guy flirting with a no-hitter or whatever. I don't know how you get good at those situations without them happening in front of you. you got to luck out and have them happen in front of you to practice and, and get better. And like once a week, since I've been the lucky dude sitting in that chair in L.A., they've done it and they've given me reps at this. And what I've found is I'm not smart enough to just in that moment have the home run go out and be like, OK, what does this mean beyond home run Phillies lead? So when I see a big moment coming, when a team goes into the bottom of the ninth inning or whatever it is, down a run and you got the big hitters coming up, I start to anticipate that it can come. And it's not scripting as much as it is trying to wrap my mind around what the context would be. So in this situation, 
here comes Harper. And I'm thinking like, okay, we've known this guy's been in our, in our consciousness for like 15 years. You know, we've, we've had this narrative on Bryce Harper since he's a teenager on the cover of sports illustrated. I mean, a, a, a baseball lifer that is coming to the plate here in the biggest moment that he's ever had, what would this moment mean? And like, I just kept thinking about baseball life. You know, he, he's lived the full baseball life. And so I had that context in my mind. And that's an example of what I try to do in those situations. Just have the bigger picture, what the swing would mean, what the story would mean if he did something. And he did. And that's what came out. It was a great emotional call, yet understated, which is always the best call that it feels organic and natural. Uh, and I'm curious to know how you develop that kind of a style when you started doing this and uh, I can go back to the beginning where you, you were working for free at one point uh, when you came out of school or when you're still in school. But did you have an idea of what kind of broadcaster you wanted to be? Yeah, the first thing, Mike, is that I started thinking about wanting to do this when I was probably like 10 years old. As soon as you start having those thoughts, I want to be this or that when I grow up, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. So I was listening to guys and studying them at an earlier age and probably normal people would. Uh, you know, I, I watched the games and I loved the games, but I loved the guys calling the games too. And Joe Buck was always the guy who was calling the biggest games when I was a kid. You know, from from the time I can remember. And so just by osmosis, listening to Joe, I think I took a bunch. I grew up a Cubs fan. Chip Carey was the guy when I first got there and then Len Casper and um, his understated style, probably something that by osmosis I pulled some stuff from. And then you get into doing it yourself. For me, that was in the minor leagues. You mentioned the free job that I did before I graduated from college in Schaumburg. And then I went down to Montgomery with the Biscuits. And you can find tapes, I'm sure, if I don't know where you can find them, but if you happen to pull up tapes, one day you can find me screaming my head off, and the next day you can find me acting like Pat Summerall, just straight down the middle, not raising my voice at all. What it was, what it was is basically a lab to go and experiment where I belonged and where I, where I was comfortable. Because I, I think that everybody belongs in a different spot in terms of excitement, where their style falls in and you don't want to force anything. You want to let yourself be yourself. And I think that I've through the years probably found a spot where I'm comfortable with uh, that level. Uh, okay. So let's, let's go back now. You're from uh, Potterville, Michigan, which I, I guess is uh, near Lansing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you go to a very tiny liberal arts school, Beloit college. Um, and, and you go there as an athlete, you're a football player, you're a quarterback and uh, you, you get you get injured and, and then you move the wide receiver. But at some point you say, you know what, uh, my career path of as a broadcaster is more important than me as an athlete. That's a hard transition to make when you're playing a college sport. Uh, so take me through that part. Yeah, the I guess I was lucky in that I like my dream as a kid was to go play football at Notre Dame. And when I got into high school and thought, yeah, maybe I could, I could go there and maybe walk on and get a great education, but I'm not getting any help getting into the school from the football staff. Like they, they don't want me as that became clear. I thought, you know what, I want to go somewhere where I can, you know, play right away. And I knew at that point what I wanted to do. And the recruiting pitch from the coach at Beloit was you got a chance to start right away and you can come be the announcer for the basketball games right away. So he had the magic words to get me there. So I tell you all that to tell you that it was it was easier than it, it might have otherwise been for me at that point with a shoulder injury to say, OK, like maybe football takes a backseat to what I was already doing. And, and that was broadcasting the games and trying to set myself up for a career in this industry. But, yeah. Moved to receiver. I think it opened up. If Had I gone into that summer before my senior year at Beloit College as the quarterback still, I don't know if I would be leaving school for a few months to go do my first baseball announcing job. I think that I probably would have felt too committed and uh, to the team to being the, the leader and the quarterback and the guy that was there. But I'm the receiver, and it's like, well, I'm not a very good one. I can go announce some games for a few months. So that cleared the deck, I guess, for me to go do that. And that led to the Montgomery job, which led to everything else. Yeah. So you, three, you're three years of, of, of Beloit 
uh, broadcasting baseball, basketball games, such school. And then uh, the summer before your final semester, you get hired to be the voice of the Schamburg Flyers, a baseball independent baseball team in Northern League, unpaid position. Um, I guess at that point you're thinking, I got to start somewhere, and it doesn't matter if they're giving me a cent. Totally, yeah. And it was not. I don't even remember thinking, "Oh man, this isn't paid." All I remember thinking, seeing the job posting and making the application and everything was, holy cow, this could be perfect for me. It's right between college and home. Mentioned I grew up a Cubs fan right there in Chicago. I could sneak away on our off days and go to Cubs games. Like this is a dream spot for a kid in my position. It never was a thing that I wasn't going to be making any money on it. And I'm not from any kind of rich family, lower middle class. And as you mentioned, Potterville, Michigan. So it's not like, yeah, I'll just ride on my parents' money for a summer. It just, I knew with conviction, this is what I wanted to do. And this would be the perfect spot. And so I applied and went after it very hard and got the job. And here's a funny story. My guy that summer, they were starting that ownership group is getting ready to start another team in the league. And so I tried to use the whole summer as a platform to show them that I should be the guy for this new franchise. And it worked. By the end of the summer, they had offered me a position to be the voice of the Lake County Fielders. Kevin Costner was going to be part owner of this team. It was going to be a big deal. It was it was a little bit north of Chicago, between Chicago and Milwaukee. And I, I couldn't wait. So I had one more semester of college. I was going to finish up in December, move to Lake County to take this job in January. Somebody talked me into applying for the Montgomery Biscuits job, which was double A, better than independent ball. We know I got that job. Long story short, the following summer, the guy they wind up hiring for Lake County quits in the middle of a game while he's on the air. The franchise folds about a month later. They weren't paying the players. They weren't paying the broadcasters. The park never got built, so they were playing like on, you know, city fields with backstops and sand all around them and everything. I, and like, had I not gotten the Montgomery job, that was going to be me calling those Lake County fielders games and maybe quitting on the air. So who knows where I'd be? Yeah, all right. So you get to Montgomery, uh, the Braves, Braves Double A affiliate, and uh, and then it's just a meteoric ride. I mean, boom. Uh, ESPN and, and you're doing you're calling games on ESPN at a very young age. You, you called uh, a game a bowl game at age 25 uh, at the Poinsettia Bowl, I guess. And then Fox Sports comes calling. I mean, this is like a whirlwind uh, advancement from from where you were. Uh, and in the meantime, I, I mean, I don't know when you got married and had a family. You have three children. You're 35. You're moving from here to there. Like, how did you manage all that? When you made when you put it like that, I don't know. Gosh, that's a lot of stuff that's happened in the last decade. Uh, I think the first thing is that just it's never felt like work because it is what I've always dreamt of. And it, it never does to this day feel like work. I'm passionate about what I do. And then the other thing, and this I probably got this backwards, but my wife is the most supportive person I could ever imagine. We met while I was in college and this was all just a dream still. And so she's been there for every step of the way. She's got the same thankful perspective I do, knowing that this is what I've always dreamt of. And she made it her dream, too, for me. So to have her support and never at any point to feel like I was held back by anything with any of these crazy moves or going to Montgomery, Alabama, um, she would be the biggest reason why. That's yeah. uh, what's gone or, on. Or Waco, Texas, and, and all over the place, and, and you have to you have to schlep stuff or back, back and forth. And and now you you found a home. I mean, Southern California, yeah. it's all beautiful. You you have the three kids. You have a, a, a house, a burgeoning career. You're on top of your field. Uh, but there there's a really interesting part about you that who you are replacing. Now we know you've replaced Buck for baseball, but replacing Vin Scully is just uh, I mean. I, I, I'm sure you can ask a million people and say, oh, I don't want to do that. They're always going to judge me by Scully. It's going to be hard. Uh, what process did you go through for that? As far as the actual hiring process, it was really weird in that there was no job interview. There was no, you know, semifinalist, finalist, like traditional thing like that. We just got a call one day that they even knew who I was, which I thought was cool. I didn't know how they I'd done like two big league games at that point. Um, and wound up figuring the whole thing out. The process mentally for me, 
in, as it regard as it relates to following Vin was okay. Yeah, you could look at it and say I don't want to touch that job like a dead man walking, or the way I looked at it was can I live with myself in five years and 10 years and 50 years if I turn this job down because I'm scared it's not going to work because I'm scared they're going to run me out of town? Or do I go say, screw it, let's give this a shot. This is what makes this cool. And it was for me. I wasn't looking for a job with the team at that point. I was doing ESPN and then Fox stuff at that point, was on the track to do everything I had ever wanted. But this is what made the job one I couldn't say no to. So almost turned it completely on its head and said, my gosh, what an amazing opportunity to be the guy following Vin. And I know everybody else is looking and saying, what an idiot to be the guy to follow Vin, right? <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just, I looked at it as an awesome opportunity and responsibility and went and tried to be myself. And then the team won like 120 games a year. And so I was delivering good news yeah. and they uh, haven't run me out of town yet. We're talking to Joe Davis, the great uh, play-by-play broadcaster, who's kind of on top of the world, you know, the lead uh, Fox baseball analyst, and you hear him on NFL games and, and uh, so many other things. Uh, so let, let's talk about this Dodger experience, because I, th- I thought it was really interesting during the uh, All-Star game, and you got Mookie Betts wired, and of course he's a Dodger, and uh, and you go, you just d- deliver it very calmly, hello Mookie, and he says, uh, hello Joe D. So <laughs> what what relationship do you have with players, and where, where do you take that? Where do you draw a line with what you know are you careful about what you say because you you see these people every day like how's that work out because it's a little different than being the national guy yeah it is definitely something you have to consider mike and it has been i guess as i've gotten quote unquote older easier because when i started that job i was 27 right 27 28 and i was the same age as most guys i'm at least now a little older 35. So I'd be like on the older end of the roster as opposed to right in the middle. That makes it a little easier to not have to like tell yourself you can't be buddies with these guys. Uh, that said, it's not, you know, it's not something where I'm like, I got to keep these guys at arm's length, you know, because I, I'm, I'm the journalist and they're the player. No, I mean, look, we're together every day. It's natural that you're going to develop relationships with these people. I am very mindful, though, of of the fact that I can't let that dictate how I call the game. And I think whether I'm friends with a guy or I've never met the guy, I'm going to call it like I see it and then I'm going to move on. And, you know, it's even like the Brett Beatty thing the other day where he dropped the pop up. I called it like I saw it. It was terrible. But I didn't linger. I moved on after that. So that's just always how I've tried to handle it. And. You know, I'm very proud that in eight years with the Dodgers, I've never had a situation where a guy's come to me and said, you know, what the hell were you saying? Because I think that they respect that I'm there and I'm around each day. If there is something that I said wrong, I'm right there. I'm not hiding. And uh, yeah, I say what happens and I move on. Well, that in itself is pretty amazing because I've been around a lot of clubhouses where broadcasts are, uh, are always afraid of what they say and always get crap. Uh, for players. So uh, hopefully that, that continues uh, to, to go smoothly for you. Uh, let's, let's talk about this call because you went viral on the call. The Mets have been a disaster and there's a pop fly and I don't know if the wind is playing tricks with it or whatever, but Beatty gets confused by it. And he's circling like, you know, an airplane and, uh, and he lunges and misses the ball and the ball hits the ground and whacks him in the face. And, uh, and, and let's, let's hear your call first of all. Pop up, left side of the infield. Backs up Beatty, having a hard time tracking it. Oh, no! What a disaster! Bets in to score. Dodgers lead 3-1. As soon as this ball went out, there was trouble. Beatty circling it. Lindor's got to almost go get that ball, call him off. Then it bounces up to add insult to injury. Bounce up, hit him in the face, it looked like. Oh, right in the face. The 2023 Mets oh. in one clip. Okay, so, so, so there it is. Uh, what a disaster. The 2023 Mets in, in one clip. 
<laughs> and it's as accurate as it can be. But were you surprised that it went viral? And how did you handle the feedback from people? Yeah, honestly, I do feel a little bad about it for Brett Beatty, who I'm sure is a nice guy. And uh, But gosh, they just, like, being around the Mets this weekend, that's as bad of a feel as I've felt this year for sure. The combination of being around and just kind of feeling the energy around the team and then watching them play. And then that play happens and it's like, man, this is the big leagues. That's the other thing going back to your question, Mike, about how you handle player criticism. And when I was doing college sports, that's different. And I guess you you can go down a rabbit hole and say, well, it ain't that different anymore. Those guys are getting paid too. But when those were kids playing on scholarship, sure. But like playing for the love of their school and because they love the game that's different than these paid professionals. So uh, a play like that, that's play that should be made, whether it was windy or not. I don't think it was that windy that day. And I guess that's neither here nor there, neither here nor there, but uh, yeah, it was, I surprised it went viral. It's funny yesterday talking to a couple Dodger writers uh, before the game, they said, Hey, great call on Saturday. That was awesome. And it took me a minute. I was like, what? Nothing even happened Saturday. Oh my gosh. You mean the drop pop up? Like, gosh, I'm a jerk. That people <laughs> about that. And so I do feel bad about it, but uh, it was not a good play. Well, I, you know, don't feel bad. That, that team spent $350 million not to be that yeah. way. <laughs> you know, you know so they, they deserve it pretty much. Uh, all right. So, um, you know, it, it, you're only a few years from being kind of like a college athlete knucklehead, like we all were at one point, uh, and you're you're now a huge star. And I'm curious to know, like, how the the knuckleheads that you went to school with perceive you at this point. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're only a few years out of college, basically. So you know, those friendships that you made, all of a sudden, you 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 take a rocket ship to the moon. Hey, maybe those guys are still trying to figure out, but like, how, how are you perceived by your buddies? Yeah, that'd be all my Sigma Chi bros back at Beloit College. Uh, one of them, Rick Krajewski. Oh, I, you know, I was almost a Sigma Chi. Were you really? I, 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 I pledged Sigma Chi. I changed my mind. My brother was at Penn State. This was. Penn okay. State uh, but I'm familiar with Sigma Chi. <laughs> Well, you, you didn't do it, so I can't do the grip, and I can't. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I I bailed. You know how it goes is secret. <laughs> uh, one of my fraternity brothers, and guy I lived right down the hall from, his name's Rick Krajewski. He now travels with me everywhere I go as my statistician and research guy, and and great buddy. So that's really cool to have him around. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I I would like to think they still think of me as the same guy. I think they would all tell you, Mike, that in college, I was a knucklehead athlete, sure, but I was as boring of a knucklehead athlete as you can ever find. I was pretty focused on what I wanted to do when I got out of college and um, wasn't that fun, wasn't a big party or anything like that. So fraternity, fraternity guy and football player and everything, but focused on what I wanted to do for a living to the point where I wasn't that fun. So I don't think they'd be like, I don't think they'd tell you like, oh, what's this, uh, you know, professional guy doing now? You know, he was a shit show back in college. <laughs> I wasn't like that. You were always like that. This, yeah, this great bit. guy who had the, uh, you know, the, the career path set out for you. Uh, so at this point, I mean, listen, you're, you're at the top of the game right now. And uh, I don't know if you think beyond what you are right now, but uh Where's this path continue to go for you? I hope I can keep doing the World Series for a really long time. This is the thing that had you asked me specifically what event do you want to call it? If I could pick one game, it'd be game seven of the World Series. We almost got there last year, but yeah, regardless whether I ever get to a game seven, if my bosses keep letting me do the World Series and hopefully Fox continues to have the World Series rights, they do for quite a while and hopefully they re-up them and I would love to have a long career doing that and Kevin Burkhart's going to call the Super Bowl for a really long time at Fox so I would love to for a really long time be number two right behind him and continue to get a chance to call football games and I, I'm just so lucky and the Dodger stuff too that that has exceeded expectations I can't envision a life without some of that and uh, I'm doing fewer Dodger games this year but it feels like the perfect amount with you know, we're the stage that I'm in with my young kids and everything. So, gosh, it, it probably sounds like a cop out. But really, if I can just keep doing what I'm doing right now and um, 
I would be, I would be thrilled. That, that would continue to be a, a dream come true. Well, you could probably do that for the next hundred years, but uh, a guy like you who has these credentials and this look, it, it's almost like uh, uh, a newsman is, is going to burst outside of you. Like a, like a David Muir type of guy. I mean, can you see yourself as a national newsman? No, because I don't know anything about anything other than whatever sport and game I'm covering. I like I'm seriously, I got my I got my family, I got my job calling sports, and I like food. So maybe like Food Network, I'll pivot and do something on there. Is that is that a thing? That's cool. That's Philly's cool. a great food town. It is. Yeah. What what do you, what do you what can you tell me about the, your experiences with Philadelphia food? Uh really like Elpin Rose. Been there, mm-hmm. the Dark Bowl Steakhouse, the Scholson restaurant. Yeah, very, very new and hot in the mm-hmm. city. Yeah. Uh, what else do I like there? We during the uh, during the postseasons, I felt like I lived in Philadelphia. We went to Del Frisco's mm-hmm. several times. Um, I think what else? A lot of athletes will hang in there. Yeah, we went a- there. We went there the night of the Harper home run. It was funny. We we go back to the back to the hotel and it looked like I compare it to the scene from Polar Express. It looked like the scene where all the elves around Santa Claus in the in the uh, courtyard outside of the North Pole. It looked like that outside of our hotel there in Philadelphia. Yeah. And we like carved through that to go to the restaurant and eat. Very memorable night. We were all so excited about how the broadcast went and everything. And we spent way too long in there at uh, at Del Frisco's and got back way too late. Thankfully, we had a few days off because I needed it after that night. <laughs> well you, you were into the party scene like everybody else in the town yeah. that day uh, uh so uh let's just quickly end it with it with your look at the phillies that they seem to uh, have caught some momentum and, and it's kind of the same record last year this time and they come out of the gate and they take three of four from the really the fading mm-hmm. san diego padres um they look like they're a lock for the wild card you're not going to catch the braves but how viable will they be you think uh, could they be as viable as they were last year? Yeah, I, I think that they should be even more so. Uh, you know, it's like that doesn't always mean that they're going to make a run. Look at last year, Dodgers won 111 games, and they were out like that in the division series. Phillies barely eked in. I, I think that I see them doing more than barely eking in this year. But who knows what that means for a postseason run? A lot of it has to do with health, who's playing the best at that time, and a little bit of luck. Postseason is a, a crocky, you know what, in those short series. Uh, you know, you, you get a little something that goes your way and magic can happen. Seasons that people talk about forever can happen. So we'll see. But, hey, if the Phillies find their way back to the World Series, because we have the American League side this year, so we wouldn't see the Phillies until the World Series. If they make it back to the World Series, I would be plenty pleased to be going back to Philadelphia, be in that environment, be in those restaurants on the nights off. Well, that that World Series, uh, if it's a World Series, uh, would, would be uh, would be pumping in this uh, in this city. Uh, Joe, listen, it's been a pleasure. The, the great Joe Davis joining us on the Mike Nesnelli podcast. We appreciate it. Continued success and the best of luck. And uh, you know, your, your career is just at, at a, a fever pitch right now. So congratulations and thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me, of course. It's the Mike Nesnelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Oh, thanks so much to Joe Davis. Good guy. Good guy to talk to and uh, a very talented guy, man. You know, it's funny about Joe Davis. No, no, everybody listens to him goes, hey, good. <laughs> you know, like, no, he doesn't annoy anybody. He's straight down the line. He shows the proper excitement. Uh, you know, he's he's at the top. And uh, we've had both guys, Ian Eagle and Joe Davis in the last couple of shows, two guys that are absolutely at the top of their profession right now. So thanks to both those guys, especially Joe Davis, for joining us today as the Dodgers play the Orioles. He was in Baltimore. We're fortunate to catch him down there. Uh, All right, so let's close it down for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the interview and the commentary today. Of course, the Mike Misnelli podcast is brought to you by Bed Rivers. Now, we are going video. I know I've been teasing this, but it's going to happen. It's By the time we start the new season, we will be on video. You'll be able to watch us on YouTube. I've got all the equipment here. I've got this big camera in front of me. It's just a matter of getting hooked up to the proper way so you can see our smiling faces every day and catch our guests live on video. 
Uh, Bet Rivers, thank you so much. Don't forget to download that app. You want to make some bets on the baseball season uh, or maybe uh, uh, Lionel Messi, who is going to debut on um, on Friday in Miami. I'll have something to say about that on Thursday, by the way. The guy's been down there for like a month. What is he going to play? He's going to grocery stores. He's going all over the place. They had a ceremony to announce his contract on the field with the sellout crowd. He hasn't put the shorts on yet, for crying out loud. But anyway. We'll talk about that on Thursday. Don't forget, you can get me uh, at uh, the email address, Mike at MikeMiss.com. Uh, and uh, we, we, what I do is, a, is a, a Friday blog on my website, MikeMiss.com. I'm going to do a midweek blog tomorrow. We're going to uh, uh, splash one in. So go to my website, MikeMiss.com. You can find my video blog. And write me at Mike at MikeMiss.com because uh, I am doing a little contest where I'm going to give away some uh, Mike Missinelli podcast swag, cool hats. And all you got to do is email me uh, something. So, you know, good thought, uh, commentary about sports, about life, a question, whatever it is that gets my attention. Every two weeks, we're going to give away a hat uh, courtesy of my website. So go to MikeMiss.com and email me first. And then uh, in the video blog, I will announce uh, who is the winner, and I will read your winning email in the form of a sound-off call that I used to do uh, on the radio. Twitter, MikeMiss25. Catch me on Twitter. If you want a personal shout-out, go to Cameo.com. Type my name in there, and uh, you can hire me to give a personal shout-out, a wedding congratulations, a birthday, a uh, pep rally. You got the uh, fantasy football leagues coming out. You want me to introduce your fantasy football league? I'll do that for you. Just go to Cameo.com. And don't forget, I'm a part owner in the Tally Vineyards in Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey. So if you're in that neighborhood and you stop by the winery, you get a really good glass of wine and you might run into me there at the Tally Vineyards for wine ordering. You get the wine shipped to you at tallyvineyards.com, N-A-T-A-L-I, Vineyards, V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D-S.com. In fact, I'm providing wine for a charity golf tournament coming up in a couple of weeks uh, at uh, Commonwealth which is uh, the benefits to retinoplasty, which is a cancer that affects the eyes of children. Uh, it's a great charity, and I'm, uh, I'm going to be glad to be involved in that. I'm going to be the MC for that event down there. Uh, all right, uh, Darren, anything else? No, season one finale Thursday. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to come back uh, with our 100th episode. Sounds good. Fun. We haven't been on vacation yet, so we got a little vacation we got to take, all right? Uh, but we'll be back with you Thursday. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed Joe Davis. Spread the word on the Mike Missinelli podcast. Just download it for free. Uh, subscribe for free. It'll come to your inbox, and if you don't know how to do it, uh, just go to Google, all right? Google, Mike Missinelli podcast. It'll pop up. You punch on it. It pops up. It's on Apple iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on Amazon. It's on Google, wherever. And then just subscribe, and you won't have to worry about how you get it. You'll have access to it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great rest of the day. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissonelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.